0: Aldo Rossi and I met through a mutual friend roughly eight years ago in Malibu, where I was running a store for James Purse. Obviously, acquaintances become friends, and with Aldo, I feel our friendship has grown closer since we both launched our respective businesses. Mine, Standard H, of course, and his—well, it's his second business actually. Aldo had a successful career as a photographer, having shot for the likes of L Magazine, Travel and Leisure, Interview. Vogue and campaigns for brands like Ralph Lauren, Chanel, Levi's, and even Calvin Klein. A couple of months ago, I joined him on the porch of his house in the crisp morning air of Topanga Canyon, which doubles as his workspace for the eponymous leather goods label he launched in 2014. We talk about everything from coffee to quilting, from Paris to Los Angeles, why leather goods came calling as a second career and the philosophy of buy less, buy better. I'm your host, Wesley Smith, and you're listening to The Standard H Podcast. Aldo, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. It's exciting. (laughs) Um,
0: so we're here in Topanga Canyon, um, it's been raining a ton in California, I mean by our standards at least. So these hills are lit up with these yellow, green, I'm gonna call them flowers. Do you have any idea what they are?
1: We have a lot of, yeah, super a lot of wildflowers, super a lot of mustard grass at the moment. The lupins came out really early and it stayed really long and I don't remember any year in the almost 20 years that I've lived here in Tabanga. Where it's been this green and this lush, right? It's usually all burned off by now.
0: Yeah, yeah. Usually it's it's more brown. Um, it looks more like Northern California, frankly.
1: It's amazing. It's amazing. We walk the hills. My dog and I walk the hills uh, twice a day, and it's just been it's just been really, really gorgeous. The scary part now, though, as it's warming up, is snakes and and everything like that. But that's Topanga living for you.
0: Yeah. Well, just to start off, uh, fellow Bialetti aficionado, (laughs) Um, I'm a stovetop guy. You are too. Absolutely. Um, No other way to make coffee, right? It's
1: the only way I know. I can't can't brew drip coffee to save my life.
0: (laughs) Um, Not to be confused with the architect, Aldo Rossi, we were talking a few minutes ago about... I'm going to label it a mishap. (laughs) What can you go into several se-
1: several mishaps when I was uh, starting my photographic career um, and living in near Union Square in New York I'd get phone calls, random phone calls two or three times from Aldo Rossi the architect's office telling me that they had gotten my checks and would I come down and get them and unfortunately I never got their checks and um, and then they started calling and saying that I should really change my name because they, they w- didn't want to deal with the confusion so um, that didn't happen. Ne- needless to say, that didn't happen.
0: I ca- they asked you to change your name.
1: They thought I should change my name, and I told them that I thought he should change his, since I'm the third of the name, and he was only
0: the first. So. <laughs> 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 That's amazing.
1: I, re- I was photographing um, Bernardo Bertolucci a few years after that, and told him that story, and he had he had told me how much he uh, how he knew Aldo Rossi, the architect, and. We had a little giggle about that, and I told him that I really loved, um, I loved his coffee pots and his teapots, and I didn't wasn't a huge fan of his buildings. Um, and uh, Bertolucci told me he was felt exactly the same. So
0: that's that's <laughs> fantastic. Um, well, let's rewind for a second. Where exactly did you grow up? Where were you born, and raised?
1: Born in Florida uh, and moved to Paris when I was four, and essentially, essentially was raised there. Went there through I was there through high school, uh, college in Connecticut, and then back in France where I started uh, assisting as a photographer.
0: So, what took you to France? Or I'm assuming your parents? Uh, jobs. Yeah, at that point,
1: my my parents took me, um, and then. Uh, Stayed in a high school there. I was going to a, a pretty good high school, so I stayed there through high school. After they got separated, but um, yeah, Paris is really home for me.
0: Um, today's the day when Notre Dame has caught fire.
1: Oh my God, it's awful. Um, every time, every time I go to Paris, I uh, make a personal pilgrimage and go sit sit there. Uh, time seems to disappear when I'm sitting there and I always sort of come to in a puddle of tears and snot. And uh, (laughs) so it's a bit, it's a, it's a really important place for me. So seeing it burn right now is just awful. Tragic. It really is.
0: Right. Um, so what what did your parents do just to get back on the Paris and the move?
1: My father went to France as a deep cover agent for the CIA. Um, and uh, I think, I don't know how long his mission lasts, but he he then uh, stayed on in Europe working for an airline, which had always been his cover job. So... Uh, and that's kind of what kept uh, kept us there,
0: yeah interesting siblings
1: mm-hmm. uh two younger
0: are they local to california they in no they're,
1: they're, they're they they moved to back to the states with my mom uh when I was about thirteen um yeah, to Florida in fact,
0: got it, so you stayed in Paris
1: I stayed in Paris again because of this high school I was in was a pretty well known high school um and uh just thought uh, thought that, that was going to give me my best chances for i I thought I was going to grow up and be sort of a businessman or an international businessman or something exotic like that um not some um not a photographer and or uh artisan
0: <laughs> well to to combat what you're just saying you kind of are an international businessman we'll get more on uh, into that with distribution and such but you know, you've, you've dipped your toe in the international business for sure.
1: I think for sure we can say that, uh, I've dipped my toe. Uh, I think we can also say pretty much for sure that I'm not a businessman. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. Fair enough.
0: (laughs) We'll, uh, we'll explore that more in a few minutes. Um, so college in Connecticut, you said?
1: College in Connecticut. Where'd you go? Connecticut College. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Studied Chinese and economics. No kidding. Uh, road crew. Yep.
0: Wow. Yep. I had no idea. Now studying Chinese. What did that entail? Was it speaking as well as speaking? Or? Speaking
1: and writing. No, it You've was it. it was really language. So um, speaking and writing. Um, and again, uh, you know, at that time, in view of of being a businessman and and um doing business with uh, what I anticipated then would be. Um, a growing Chinese market, which has sort of turned out to be the case.
0: Right. And that's Mandarin, I'm assuming. Not it was Kansas. Mandarin. It was
1: Mandarin. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, you know, not at that time, I wasn't able to practice it very much. There weren't very many restaurants or whatnot that had that spoke Mandarin. So, um, so I've kind of lost all of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you don't practice a language or, or use it day to day, it's easy to forget. I, I just know. I minored in Spanish in college, and I was really proficient at one point. Um, not so much the case. And today. you have more, and you have more <laughs> opportunity here to speak Spanish. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, <laughs> no, this is true. So you mentioned Union Square, living in New York City. I'm assuming that came soon after college, or?
1: Well, in fact, I I had I was putting my I put myself through college. Uh, I had taken a break year to earn some money to pay for college and ended up in Alaska on a fishing boat. Um, then when that was done, went back to Paris to start back, start my next term in college. And that's where I started assisting photographers. And, uh, it's through assisting photographers that I ended up back in New York. I was hired by a photographer in New York to, to come back and manage his studio.
0: Now, what what stuck out to you about photography necessarily, or how did you get that bug? Photography is always, always I've always taken pictures. I've always been close ever to photography
1: ever since I was a little kid. Yeah.
0: yeah. What was your first camera? Do you remember?
1: Yeah, it was a little Kodak Instamatic. <laughs> That's awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I must have had something similar. Yeah, exactly. You have the little little rectangular cartridges yeah. that you put in, and, and yeah, exactly, yeah. The first camera that ever really felt like mine, ironically, was one of those disposable cameras that oh, like, right, my parents right. would... We'd go on vacation, so they'd buy the little Kodak mm-hmm. disposables, and um, so that I, I always felt like a big boy, because I had my own camera in my pocket, you know, as opposed to my dad carrying his Canon AE-1 right, right, right. around his shoulder. But anyway, that's... Uh no,
1: those were always great, and I, I mean, I kind of liken those to, like, um, all the all the cameras that people have on their phones um people took a lot more pictures with those instamatic cameras because they didn't take them quite so seriously and they gave them to their kids who take really beautiful pictures anyway and um yeah no those are great those are great great ideas
0: so were any of the photographers you worked for early on of note or just you know were they wedding photographers studio photographers um the
1: first photographer i worked for is named steve hyatt and I worked for him, uh, I had a two-day gig uh, because his assistant was going to be out of town. Um, and that turned into a year-long year gig. Um,
0: 48 hours to... 15.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and then I was hired by a, a rental studio in Paris. Um, Called Pinup Studios, uh, where at the time a lot of the major photographers, major fashion photographers, worked. Um, so, uh, so I was able to meet and experience and work with uh, a lot of the people at the time who were doing um, great pictures and probably a lot of the famous fashion fashion pictures that we know of, like Toscani and Pamela Hanson, uh, Peter Lindbergh, and whatnot. Yeah. Sure. And so from that, uh, got hired by Peter Lindbergh full-time as his first assistant. And then also through that, um, got hired by Bruce Weber in New York. And that's how that took me to New York to become his first assistant. Yeah.
0: What were some of your earliest memories or or good memories of working with those two? Because, I mean, those are such prolific names.
1: Um, I think with Peter we laughed a lot. We had a great time and just, and just really, really laughed a lot. I guess if you ask about a memory, um, that I kind of, uh, I kind of carry with me and, and, uh, and exercise it on my apprentices here is the first time I worked for him. Uh, we were working out on the coast of France and he had me hold up this huge reflector card standing on a rock on the edge of the sea, um, in the wind, and this, and had me stand there for like twenty or thirty minutes without budging, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I didn't want to put it down because I didn't want to let him let him know how much pain I was in, and <laughs> which he knew also, and it was just kind of a kind of a big test. Um, uh, so yeah, so that was P- Peter. We, with Peter, we laughed a lot. Uh, my experiences with Bruce were, he was a fantastic teacher. It was a fantastic school. I was able to, uh, really learn, uh, learn how to learn, um, not just be, not just watch a master at his craft, but watch somebody, uh, learn new things. So I, when I was working for Bruce, we, you know, he was working on some of his first films. He, we did, um, his, the, uh, an album. We... Did several books, so there were. It was a lot of. Um, it was a lot of not just watching somebody who was a master of his craft, do his thing, but also struggle with learning how to learn, um, and that was really very invaluable.
0: I know a lot of people say that about college. Like college, it's not necessarily for the usefulness of college; it's to learn how to learn. So yeah, it's almost it, like this was like a graduate program for you maybe it
1: really was and I think I don't you know I don't I don't think that you know he was looking at it as a way to you know teach his teaches his, his assistants but um he, he had things that he wanted to do and and we just sort of learned and muddled through them muddled through them together and and um it meant it showed me that um uh, you can be you can struggle through something and and get through it you have to take the time to learn there's mistakes in learning there's it's not it's not necessarily an easy or beautiful process
0: Um, I think to piggyback on that many say that if you're not learning or excuse me if you're not making mistakes you're not learning
1: oh my god Then I must should be really really smart by now (laughs) (laughs) Um, He says, looking at the mistake he made yesterday, which uh, is really (laughs) easy to
0: miss. (laughs) We're sitting at the workbench where Aldo makes his beautiful leather bags and, well, leather goods, I should say. Uh, At what point do you come to California?
1: Um, Let's see. Well, it was 2000. Um, I I was living in New York in a neighborhood called Dumbo, um, which uh i was living in one of the f- one of the first buildings that had been renovated and gentrified there uh called one main street um and um it was really the be- really the the beginning of that neighborhood the streets were still a mess and and, and everything N- no shops um and but uh you know slowly and over the 3 years that i lived there Let's see my rent was doubled, so and I really didn't see any reason for them not to, not to, not to stop, or, or I didn't see any reason why they wouldn't keep raising the rent. So I thought there had to be someplace else to go. So, oh uh, wow, so, <laughs> so California was because I, I was, you know, I was photographing then, and and I figured it would be. Uh, L.A. would be a, a logical place for someone to, who did a lot of portraiture and, and that sort of thing.
0: Sure. I remember growing up in North Carolina and, and wanting to work in the apparel industry. It was like, okay, there's New York and then there's L.A. Right. And if I'm right. going to remain right. in the United States at least.
1: Right. I think, um, uh, yeah, at the time, at the time, I would say that was pretty much the same. And also I, I, I was still doing a lot of work in Paris, a lot of editorial work, uh, and so all I really needed to do was be near an airport, so I, was, right. I thought I'd be fine, yeah.
0: So you just moved your business out. So I guess to rewind again for a real quick second, what made you decide to go out on your own? Obviously, you were assistant to some heavy hitters. What w- Was there like a certain moment where you're like, oh, man, I just want to do this for myself?
1: No, strangely enough, when I, was, when I was assisting, I never thought I'd be a photographer. Um Interesting. Um, when I was assisting, I was work, working wholeheartedly a hundred percent for the people that I worked for. I didn't look at it as a stepping stone to something else. I didn't, didn't the people that I came across, um, I didn't think of as contacts for a few, for a future network or in any way whatsoever, um, so yeah, so as I was leaving, assisting, I had no idea what I was going to do. Um, but really I just felt like I just felt like the time was, time was up. I had worked for Bruce for three and a half years, and yeah, I just thought that seemed like a, seemed like a right time to. I didn't want to be an assistant for life either.
0: Right. So when you move out to California, what type of subjects were you? snapping photos of or did, did you have any sort of plan or was it well, I just like taking photos or? Mm,
1: by then I was already was already quite established as a photographer and had done a lot of editorial work so
0: so those contacts with. so the contacts
1: that so I had are, were are, you know it was just shifted to here essentially
0: right what were you shooting with then say 2000 when you moved here
1: shooting like camera what, gear wise oh gear wise still film um, Pentax 6x7 yeah. Um, yeah, um, I stayed with that for quite a long time.
0: And I know you've shot a lot in black and white. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Is that...
1: I guess, I guess it's the way I see things. Um, the masters that I worked with are, were masters of a lot of black and white photographs. Um, I find, uh... That the pictures are timeless in in black and white. I the pictures I take, like the goods that I make, I want them to last in time. I'm not really interested in them being of the moment or being good for the next month or two month or one year. I want them to. I want them to have longevity in time. So uh, I find that color tends to date pictures much more so than black and white
0: yeah i've always been attracted to black and white if for no other reason just because of texture Mm -hmm. i feel like i don't texture just pops in black and white more Mm -hmm. so than color for me at least um does that play a role for you at all
1: i think uh a, a a little bit um we made use of it in film, I know Peter Lindbergh does a lot much more so in the films that he chose. Um, uh, uh, I think for me it really it really comes down to comes down to timelessness. Uh, you can look at a color photograph and you can date it almost almost all, you know to the to the decade, if not to
0: the year because of its fade
1: because of its <laughs> fade because of the colors, because of the type the way a color looks uh Kodachrome has a look um you know certain pictures have looked and and i think that the trends the fashions maybe maybe just the maybe you're quickly making note of what the fashionable color was and you're maybe able to calculate it that way but um i find that uh, i find that the color pictures just have a less 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 of a longevity
0: do you think you stayed in sort of the fashion realm based on your experience or did you ever like want to shoot architecture for example or anything other than fashion
1: i I, I uh, I've shot for uh, travel magazines um, some house pictures not so much uh, I tend to always like to have people in the pictures so so fashion was pretty much. Was pretty much aware of fashion and portraiture, beauty, uh, that sort of thing. I would say probably because of because of not being um, so keen on fashion or color itself. That, that I would I would tend to I don't tend to think of myself as a fashion photographer, just as a photographer, kind of in general. Right. But there still are people, even the travel pictures I did. They're, they're, they tend to be not postcardy looking pictures. Right. They're more lifestyle. I guess lifestyle.
0: Sure. You'd call it. Were there any other photographers that you would have ad- admired back in the day or were ever inspired by? I mean, obviously Weber, Lindbergh, but um, did you ever look to other photographer y- I look like to f- photographers? I older
1: like sc- older school photographers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, you know, who, who doesn't like Irving Penn and, uh, you know, Mr. Abaddon and those kind right. of
0: guys. Sure. Standards. So you had personal relationships with magazines and such. You transitioned obviously over into leather goods. <laughs> I don't know, how many years ago has it been now. I guess about 5 by I'm now. 5 now. A little more, yeah. Um w- was there a particular impetus that drove that transition or was it just kind of I, I've met my expiration date <laughs> in the fashion industry from a photographer's standpoint like what you know what I mean? Like what what is uh uh, why I, aldo why? why yeah exactly
1: exactly <laughs> why um because you're a very a good few... photographer
0: so if you Thank have you. <laughs> that you know in the can and you're making money and and
1: well i think that that industry changed a lot that industry changed a huge amount um so so the can changed and the and the money changed you know um uh i would say I pretty much said what I had to say in photography. Um, uh, The leather goods thing started as a need. I needed a new bracelet. I needed a new bracelet that wraps around my wrist three times. I had worn one for probably, gosh, six or eight years before that, and it was just getting tired, and, and I wanted a new one. And I had friends here in L.A. who make goods, boots, and and um not bags but boots more, more more like boots but and i asked them to make me a nice little leather bracelet simple but none of them wanted to do little basic things like that so i had to try and figure it out on my own so that's kind of how it started uh it grew fast into a business because of us because of a small shop down in malibu that took a shine to the to the little bracelets and so it was almost always something that was sold uh rather than just a just a hobby um what I store was that? that was canvas down in, down in malibu yeah, yeah sure um i had you know done things i do things that people have always pointed to and said oh you should make a business out of that but but you know this is the only one that i've ever kind of jumped jumped for or fell into i guess
0: right well, that sort of brings us to where we met, it was, mm-hmm. which was in Malibu through our mutual friend Brock. Mm-hmm. Shout out Brock, <laughs> if you're listening. Um, so, you're making leather goods under AR Handmade, Aldo Rossi Handmade, uh, or do you
1: call it? No, just it's just Aldo, Aldo Rossi, Rossi. Yeah, yeah, it was Aldo AR Rossi. AR hand- Handmade yeah, being
0: your Instagram.
1: I guess the Instagram now has actually even changed too. It's, oh, it's The Instagram okay. <laughs> is, yeah, Aldo underscore Rossi underscore official. I'm just trying to get trying to bring everything in under one roof. Um, but again, the as we spoke about earlier, Aldo Rossi, the architect, has has dibs on my name. <laughs> Got it. Even though he's the first, <laughs> even though he's even, even though he's the only one of the name, they, he's laid claim to it in many ways.
0: So you started making a bracelet. Started you making know, a bracelet. Old, the old adage, "Scratching your own itch," basically mm-hmm. for, for a particular product, that quickly transitioned into bags.
1: It transitioned into bags by way of belts. Belts is pretty much just a just a longer, wider bracelet. Right. Um, bags came about because uh, I had a friend who was uh, uh, an agent, a, a rep for brands, who showed. Some of the belts and bags, or some of the belts and bracelets, to I think Bergdorf's or one of those stores in New York, and um, who who liked them but didn't didn't think it was didn't think that they could carry a brand that was just made by some little old guy in the side of a hill in Topanga that it needed to be have bags to be a proper brand. So there you go.
0: Wow. I event. thought you were about to say the bag just became a carrying case for the belts no, at first, but no, yeah, knowing it, their design, it was,
1: it was if I if I if I wanted to if I wanted to become a brand or be an official brand, I had to have a bag. That's that's un- sort real. of what I was what I was told.
0: Interesting. Yeah.
1: So I used a an old bag that I had carried for years and years and years that I got in Bar- in Buenos Aires as a as a model for the first bag I made.
0: So I was going to ask you how you go about naming your products. I uh, know the Buenos Aires bag and then you've got a London
1: a London bag, so which is a gym bag.
0: Right. So I was going to ask how you go what what what's your process of naming uh, why is why is it London? Why is it Buenos Aires? Obviously Buenos Aires is is pretty cut and dry.
1: Yeah, the London bag is uh is a bag is a gym bag inspired by uh, the soccer players that I would see as a kid coming onto the field with their their sort of ha- half moon shaped uh, bags. That's uh, cool. And I remember that from from being a kid and oh, that's, that's kind of awesome. where that, that, that came from. The names the names tend to be cities um, and just something that is something that inspires me that the purse is named Venice because the handle of the purse go, goes in and out. Through the top of the leather, the way the bridges do in in in, in Venice. Oh, that's it's awesome! It's kind of it's like one long one oh, long great. handle that goes in and out of the top of the bag.
0: Right, and you're doing wallets now. As doing well?
1: wallets, yeah. Finally, f- I've spent a year trying to figure out how to do this zipper wallet, which I know everybody makes, but it's but I've had to figure it out myself. So so of of getting it right.
0: I'm actually sitting next to some. Um, I'm going to have to buy one of these because the one that I've had for years, that company no longer makes it. Zipper s- wallet? Yeah, it's a zipper wallet that I, um, I won't s- name the brand because <laughs> I didn't get it for free. <laughs> uh, we're here to promote you anyway. Um, but yeah, these zipper wallets are great. Um,
1: well, there 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 are some zipper wallets out there that, that I like. I've always liked zipper wallets. Uh, uh, unfortunately, the ones that I see on the market now, are made with poor quality l- if it's leather at all it's really poor quality leather and made by machine. so i wanted to incorporate um all of the techniques that i use in the bags and everything like that so everything is f- highest quality leather and everything is hand stitched the way it, the way it is on the bags um and so that's that's how we came up with that the re zippers the Swiss zippers sure. they beautiful and um, yeah but so it's taken me a while to be able to get that zipper in m- trial and error and trial and error and a lot of YouTube
0: right okay so <laughs> we're we're gonna skip around here because of what you just said um, I was just about to ask you your learning process and um, your photographer right by trade historically and then you start making leather goods handmade obviously with whip stitch all these other kinds of techniques what was that learning what how was that learning curve what did you use you, you just mentioned YouTube
1: you, YouTube It's a very new uh, age of you I know right <laughs> uh, <laughs> mostly trial and error certainly at the beginning um, a lot of YouTube, uh, but still a, just a lot, a lot of practice. I think, you know, you mentioned uh, being a photographer and then transitioning to this. One thing that I would, that I would say um, and that I think about a lot is that uh, uh, you know, this transition came about a lot because all I knew how to do was take pictures. Um, and it was a little bothersome to me that I'd never that's all I knew how to do. Um, so in terms of, you know, changing course, that was one of the things that was on my mind. And one of the things that also was on my mind about that was that my photographic career was leaned heavily on the masters that I worked for. And I learned a lot, a lot, a lot from them. But I've always thought that, um, Artists or photographer, anything, anybody self-taught can take themselves out of the rules and sometimes come up with better stuff or more interesting things or or stuff. So I wanted to teach myself to see if I could teach myself something new.
0: Aldo, I need to uh, hit pause for a quick second to tell everyone about Passion Find Jewelry and Independent in Time. Passion Fine Jewelry is a shop located in Solana Beach, California, where owners Jana and Tim Jackson have a deeply rooted understanding of watchmaking and fine jewelry. The store carries everything from Speak Marin, Roger W. Smith, Sarpaneva, Roman Gothier, Gronfeld, Viani Halter, and many more independent watches, as well as a variety of rings, bracelets, and necklaces. Tim is GIA certified, and they also have a goldsmith in-house as part of their staff. Visit com for more information. And if you're ever in Southern California, definitely make it a point to visit the store. You can also find a wealth of information via Tim's blog, independentintime.com, where you're able to dive as deep as you care to in the exploration of horology and independent timekeeping. Now back to the conversation. Well, I think, I think an important thing or takeaway in sort of delving deeper into what you were just saying is that like, so many creators out there that have done really great work, a lot of them didn't study that trade or didn't go to design school, for example. Right. So if you never learn the rules, you never know what you're disobeying or obeying. Right. 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 So it's it's trial by fire, basically. Exactly, and, yeah. And oftentimes it comes out with just remarkable results um, creatively. Mm-hmm. Because... It, it's unique. You're, it, you're not you, bound. you have the potential you're, of it being less, unique. You're less bound. Right. You're
1: less bound. Um, I, I, I've, I notice with myself that, um, I, I think that's true for almost anybody. Um, but I do notice with myself that I kind of draw myself back into classical looking things, whether that, whether my approach to them is, The same or whether I'm making those wallets the way the correct way or not um, I do want them to look the part um, and so so I think my tastes remain very classical unfortunately um, which kind of bring me to doing pretty
0: well I don't think it's unfortunate (laughs) it it i think it plays to the role of being timeless like a lot of the classical things are the things that last forever visually even you know right just yeah I,
1: I, yeah nothing i'm nothing i'm doing or making will ever be is ever going to be like the the thing of the the thing of the moment for that's going to be the hot thing for this month and then gone right. next i really wanted to i really wanted it to last in time
0: so the bracelet was an itch you can argue the new zipper wallet is an itch you got influence from the soccer players uh, when you were a kid. What other things inspire you or influence your your design?
1: The the design come out of things that I th- feel like I need or want or have used and see uh, a decline in the quality of, and I want to want to bring it back to the quality of things that i knew so if i if you we look at we were looking earlier on at the um the tote bag i mean it's really hard to find a big heavy duty tote bag that is going to last for very long right um so you know i know and i mostly my design is is informed by things that i would buy or things that i would make like the 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 bottom of all of my bags is all supported. All of the bags are made out of a single piece of leather, or single, um, in that case, canvas. So there's no stitch in the bottom of any of the bags, <clears throat> which so is no where no wear point. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So, um, and then all of the handles or all of the leather, or somehow or another, the the weight of everything is supported by leather, even right. on
0: the even on the tote bags. So you've, you've touched on quality. I want to go deeper into that. What does quality mean to you? What, wh- what do you define as being quality? Just duration? Or is it anything outside of that? I think duration is, a,
1: is yeah, I think duration is a, is a huge factor. Um, especially nowadays where the where the trend is to have more things and not better things. For me, quality is spending a little bit more but having something that you love and that's going to stick around for a while
0: buy less buy better that's, that's <laughs> the only philosophy
1: yeah right yeah i mean it's a hashtag on all of my all of my instagram posts it's but it, it's been it's i felt that way my whole life i mean almost everything i have Same. here is hand done my shoes my jackets my shirts um I would much much rather have one blazer that's been handmade than having, you know, five any brand in the world. And so I feel ab- I feel the same about the feel the same about the um, what I make, I want I want people to I want people to appreciate. I want them to buy them because they love them and I want them to buy it so that they so it'll last.
0: Well, let's talk about materials just for a quick second. Um, earlier, I, I asked about um, some Epi leather that looks very Louis Vuittonish. Um, earlier, you were talking about, you know, other brands making some products that aesthetically might be pleasing, but the quality's lacking. Um, so now this is sort of a hybrid question of quality and materials. Um, what materials do you work with, and what are kind of the distinctions?
1: Um, well, we, drew, you know, we obviously leather, le- the leather. Uh, depending on the use, the final use of the product, we'll, we'll pretty much judge, we'll decide on the leather, the thickness of the leather. Um, like you said, we just we just talked about this epi leather, which comes from the same tannery as the Louis Vuitton bags. Um, uh, suede I use comes out of, uh, is actually made for chaps. Um, so it's really rough and tumble. I mean, it's, it's almost impossible to, I mean, I go through more blades and more pricking irons and everything like that on the suede than I do on the leather. Is that right? Um, so, uh, the, the choice of the choice of materials, um, has to do with its final outcome. Obviously the aesthetics of it We just started playing with some camo leather. Um, uh i'm trying to be a little bit more commercial and try and see what you know what people out there want to buy uh rather than just make it about what i like myself personally <laughs> so uh, so the leathers come from all over the world depending on where so so again so the epi leathers from france obviously uh, a lot of vaquetta from italy uh some of the belts um and the straps are uh, english bridal leather uh... from some of the g- really great english tanneries uh... we use horween leather which is from the uh... Chicago. oldest chicago the oldest american tannery uh... Chaps is american cordovan uh, Cordovan is uh... made by Hor- horween
0: do you use it i mean
1: i use it for some bracelets uh... cordovan hides are only only about two feet long so it's i don't really,
0: really yield it, it, it,
1: it's yeah, so I haven't done a wallet out of it. I don't see I don't yet see the point of it. Um, I have to see a point of it. I don't want to do something expensive for the sake of it being expensive. The products are pretty expensive already by virtue of everything being stitched by hand. Time. And ha- yeah, exactly. It just they just take they just take a long time to make, which which kind of the 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 price the money goes into the execution rather than the
0: materials right i think that's fair. even though
1: they're be- even though they're the best materials but i mean the the, it, the where the price adds up is is making things by hand
0: right you touched on uh, the camo leather you've used some pretty vibrant colors in the past some blues stick out in my mind
1: a lot a lot of vibrant colors for like little wallets and things like that i really i really admire um I wish I were better at combining colors the way the English are. The English have really, really great leather goods that where they combine a very classical outside, maybe with a bright inside and things like that. I do like that, yeah.
0: Well, now you just have to study color theory. <laughs> 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 well, well, and I as somebody who's shot in black and white, it, it is kind of... Uh, It's interesting to see you use such bright colors from time to time. The the blue, I don't know what you even call that blue that you've used historically. Well, Um, there's a
1: cobalt blue that that uh, there's some bags out of. Um, A lot of the a lot of that comes from Horween. Those are the Horween Essex vegetable tan. Oh, the uh, Essex, yeah, Essex
0: leather, yeah, sure.
1: Um, Yeah. Um, Well, there's a lot. It's it's easy, I think, especially here in the states, to just fall into browns and blacks so many American brands, um, just, just stick to that. And I, part of, part of, I think what I'm trying to accomplish here with this brand is make American products that can rival European products. Sure. Um, and we have some very good brands here in America, um, of small brands making really nice leather goods. Um, but i think that there's such a tendency for people just to turn to european things out of habit anytime they want something a little bit different or a little bit uh left of center or um that i'd like to be able to offer them something that's made here that's uh that can that can have a little bit of flair
0: one thing i love about your line and it's regardless of either of the bags or or the multitude of bags that you make, there's such a unisex approach to their aesthetic that, and it's not in this new kind of PC type of man or woman, like like perfumes, right? Like Mm -hmm. so many perfumes Mm -hmm. and colognes started being made for both Mm -hmm. to appeal to a broader audience it's sexual preference or otherwise
1: or cut the costs of or, making it <laughs> or cut the cost. yeah
0: exactly there's a masculinity and a femininity to your products that could genuinely go either way and I think that's it's really unique in that sense I don't mm. know many brands that carry products that could sincerely look masculine on a man and just as feminine on the arm of a woman for example can you talk about that at all is that even conscious
1: it's not conscious necessarily no it's definitely not conscious i'd say it's the the almost all of the products start started as a men's product like i said my inspiration comes a lot from w- what i need or or problems that i've had Finding something in the case of the zipper wallet, finding a zipper wallet that's made to high enough specs um, that I would buy it. Um, so the bags, the Buenos Aires bag, for example, started as a bag that I, you know, that f- from a bag that I carried for years, um, and it was meant to be just that bag. It, it, you know, we've made it in a couple different sizes now because it can hold so much stuff that it would be really hard. For <laughs> right. a woman to carry and, wheels, and yeah, exactly. Um, uh, I I would say, you know, and and since you brought it up and made me think about it a little bit, is like in my photography, um, I would photograph men looking at their feminine side and women looking at their looking at their masculine side. Interesting. Um, so e- even though I can't say that it's really super conscious that I you you know, something is more men's or more women's. um, It's interesting that that comes up for you.
0: Yeah. Um, Just because I don't own too many bags that look like yours, in fact. Um, You know, the duffel, a standard Mm -hmm. weekender, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. But even just like as a work bag, the Buenos Aires bag, based on its sort of like medium size, I could totally see that being a laptop bag, throw magazines in it, an attaché. You know, I mean, there's there's a multitude of ways to carry that, I think.
1: Like I said, I mean, it, it, the one that I carried for years and years that I got in Buenos Aires, gosh, when I was there, was, I was probably 25. Uh, you know, I've carried it around the world, with boxes of contact sheets, I've carried it as a weekender bag, I've carried it, you know, it's like you said, it's an anything, it's an anything, it's right. an anything, it's a anything huge bag, but um, and it dresses itself up and it dresses itself down, depending on really, really what you're wearing. Exactly. And, and it's, they're, they're not fragile. I mean, nothing that I make is fragile and nothing that I make is precious. And to go back to like, well, I think I keep repeating myself is that, you know, these things are meant to be used and, and abused. I mean, I tell people to take the bag and drive it drag it behind their car you know because the way that they're made the stitching that's used we use a a saddle stitch that's that uh all done by hand so it's in it it would never unravel there's nothing there's no way you can harm any one of these bags so i think
0: i said whip stitch earlier you said whip stitch that's okay I, I it's a saddle, saddle. Stitch. Yeah, a saddle <laughs> stitch <laughs> me okay. without my youtube um <laughs> Well, speaking of, of of the actual process, we're sitting here at your workbench. We were also briefly, uh, prior to recording and making our Bialetti coffee, um, <laughs> we were talking about just work spaces, right? Just it, it's not a kitchen that you clean up at night for the opening crew to come in and work in a spotless kitchen. Some folks come to a stopping point and pick it up just where they left off. That's kind of what we're sitting at currently. Is that is that a fair assessment? You I just kind of come to a, a cl- like wh- where do you find a stopping point in your day?
1: Usually when I start making mistakes, you know, the, the, the mistakes, the mistakes with these leather goods, the materials are expensive and you start making mistakes. It, they, they can turn into expensive mistakes if you're in the final phase of finishing a bag and you put a hole in the wrong spot. It's there. You got know, to start over again. Yeah. Yeah. So, so usually, you know, at this point, by now, I'm able to know when when I'm getting tired enough that that mistakes are about to happen. But that's usually the stopping point.
0: So, literally, just fatigue, almost. Yeah. Just a long day. Yeah, yeah,
1: just a long day, or, or or fatigue with with a certain part of a certain project. Um, right. There's a, you know, a lot of the pieces are glued before they're stitched so there's there's you're constantly working on multiple things at a time you know there you would you would maybe you would maybe paint the edge here and then let that sit and dry but while that's drying for that 20 minutes you'd step over to do something else so it's not something you know each piece is kind of you're kind of in the middle of you're always in the middle of several things which maybe I can use that as an excuse for my messy messy workshop but my messy workshop is just, It's perfect. It's just messy.
0: (laughs) No, it's perfect. (laughs) I mean, it's, I guess, a version of multitasking all at the same time, even though the the end results, the one bag, there's just a lot of steps, right?
1: One bag or or you could be working on a bag and a belt and something, you know, multiple things at a time.
0: What does an average bag take you? Like the a Buenas- medium size, uh, Yeah, the Buenos Buenas- Aires The Buenos Aires bag. bag takes
1: between 35 and 40 hours. So a full yeah. week. How yeah. many
0: stitches would you say is in that bag?
1: Between 35 and 3,700.
0: <laughs> 3,700, potentially. Yeah. yeah. We're um, sitting here in Topanga Canyon, obviously. What... What kind of role does the location play for you? You've you've been kind of a long-term resident. Have you always lived in Topanga? I've only since I've known you, you've only lived in Topanga Canyon and only in two places.
1: Yeah, this is actually my third place in Topanga okay. Canyon. Um when I first moved to LA, I was in West Hollywood for a little while and didn't like that at all. Um very LA attitude. Very, yeah. Uh of, you know, what do you do, and how can you make my life better? And, um, Topanga was a h- huge breath of, thr- of fresh air when I first moved out here. So I've been out here, yeah, since 2001.
0: And probably quite literally a breath of fresh yeah. <laughs> air. <laughs> a little less smog. A little less
1: smog. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Nice breeze. Um, then this, this spot was this spot, uh, has uh, so many advantages to it other than other than the workshop is outside on a covered deck here um it's open to the elements a lot of the dyes and glues and stuff that we use are really stinky uh, and toxic so being outside all the time is is really nice right um and then other than that as far as the location goes we're near the summit of of old topanga canyon road so Two minutes from here is the Summit Trail that I walk my dog on, twice a day. So we get six miles of walking in a day. And um, and what is Daphne
0: German Shepherd?
1: Daphne's mostly German Shepherd, a little bit of something wild, I think.
0: Right, <laughs> obedient, no less.
1: Very obedient. That's her German Shepherd
0: side. Yeah,
1: we don't see her wild side that often.
0: Um, so going back to more of sort of the business side of things, what what's your current distribution like? Well, I've actually
1: I have actually decided to not do retail so much anymore. Um, I have experienced retail with Maxfield, with a lot of nice stores in Japan, Um, uh, Canvas down in Malibu, quite a few, quite a few desirable stores. Um, It's I, I find the climate at the moment really hard to do retail. I think that the the buyers, in particular, are really scared with what's going on with retail, and that fear kind of carries over to everybody, so I think that they're just really buying the same thing, just no one wants to branch out, no one wants to do anything that's out of the norm, there's very little support for small brands and everything, so... um so I'm really currently working hard on getting the website up and running, finished, um, and then I, I think retail might have a have a resurgence in a very different type of way. Um, I mean, I know it is already through pop ups and pop ins and things like that. So that's kind of going to be something that I'm going to explore like a shop and
0: shop maybe or, or more of a pop-up on your uh, own probably
1: either well I think probably as a as a starting point maybe a pop-in like with small amounts of small amounts of goods in pop-up stores uh, and then move to move to a, a kind of a an on my own pop-up if that was something or or a multi-brand pop-up there some quite a few people doing that apparently at the moment
0: so. Are you participating in any of these kind of uh, the the markets, kind of the maker markets that are kind of downtown? I haven't. I
1: haven't. I'm dying to get into uh, the Echo Park Craft Fair, oh. which I think is amazing, amazing market. Um, and when is that? I think it's twice a year. I think there's one coming up soon here in the, in the spring, late spring or summer. And then right before Christmas, they have one. Very um, cool beautiful about it is that it's a lot of small makers um doing beautiful things not craft not super craftsy um it's not it's not flea markety it's a higher re- quality really high quality craftsmen and things like that so that's that's the type of thing that i'd like to be doing where um i think the people who go to those fairs are looking for the type of thing that i have to offer right you know
0: what other products are kind of found there um, um more bags there's well or? there's a
1: few there was everything there's some there's some nice bags there's some nice metal work um i know ramsey condor has a really beautiful his his brass work uh agnes badu has her bags um there's some really beautiful pottery there uh so I've seen I've seen a lot of things and really super desirable, desirable stuff and of of high quality, like I said. So I think that's the kind of place that that I would like to I'd like to be in. I'd like to explore more. Um then I have something to I have something to offer and then I think the people that show up there are expecting this. Um they're expecting a, a, a brand of handmade things. They're expecting to pay the price that it takes. Um. And yeah, so that, that's kind of that's kind of the other advantage of of getting away from retail is that I'm able to to lower the prices a little bit, uh, and not have to deal with the the two Wholesale. and a half the two and a half percent yeah. markup, right? Um, that that pushes my pro- that pushes my products to become very expensive.
0: Sure. So that's obviously a benefit for the end user clearly um how are you marketing the brand outside of that
1: outside of that uh through instagram mostly um instagram facebook instagram's a great tool um
0: are you into the pay ads yet or no
1: that i think that has to i think i have to wait until my website is up on shopify and uh my understanding is that is that uh shop that they have to be linked shopify and the the instagram have to be linked and then you do the pay ads and and but i'm i'm all in favor of that um i'm all in favor of you know uh working with analysts and working with the analytics of, of all of that um i think that there's a very specific person who is looking for this type of product um I don't think the whole world wants Zara. I uh, <laughs> pray they don't. Uh, for all of our sakes. So I think that the, the, the tools that the internet, that Instagram has to offer, I think they can be exploited, well, exploited by by a small brand like this.
0: Sure. In starting, be it from the start up to today, what are some of the hardest things that you've had to overcome in starting your business or, or running it? What, what, what's tough for you?
1: Everything about the business is to everything about the business is tough for me. It, 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 the, this business is a hundred percent product driven. Um, so I never look at something and say, well, we can't do that cause it's going to be too expensive. Um, Unfortunately, I think, um, you know, every spare penny that I have that I come up with goes into trying a new leather or trying a new design or something rather than anything business oriented, unfortunately. So, so I would say, um, that aspect of it has been, has been the most challenging. And I think would say learning, uh, in terms of starting a business on your own, I think that you, that uh, for me, that's a, that's, that, that has been the biggest hindrance, the, the business part. Um, I feel comfortable sort of like where the product is, you know, but having taught myself, I've had to, that's been sort of a slow process to get it to where I think it's okay. And I think it's okay now. I think it's not great, but it's, pretty good. But, uh, you know, but having spent so much time focused on that, that it's, that's been very hard for me to focus on the other. Uh, I don't, I, I, I don't know about getting a business partner, although that's, that's, that's obviously things, something that's been thought about, but it, it takes a very special person to want to come into a brand like this, um, and let the brand have its own wings. Right. Uh, and I haven't found that person
0: yet. I think even recently I commented on one of your photos about how impressed I am with just how the the collection has evolved. Not just from an assortment standpoint, but of the like through Instagram, you can see the quality, right? And I'm I don't know. I'm proud of you, man. <laughs> it's uh, to be self taught. I mean, to just to be really blunt. This stuff does not look like somebody that's only been doing it for the short amount of time that you've been doing it. Oh, thank you. Um, no, okay. I think it's it's fantastic stuff. Um, what's been easy for you? You make it almost kind of look easy.
1: Mm. What's easy for me is sitting here quietly and working. You know, spending time here. That's that's the benefit of being you know up here in the sticks in the hills is just being able to shut everything else out and, 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 and focus, focus on, on anything really that I, that I put my mind to. Yeah.
0: That's fantastic. I wish I had more alone time. Frankly, <laughs> Well, <laughs> I said come, come live. Yeah. It come sounds come, bad, come live on a hill in Topanga. <laughs> yeah, it's just amazing how productive you can be when you're alone. Um, what advice would you give others looking to start? Not a bag business per se, or even a leather business, but just, a independently owned, motivated by one, what advice could you give somebody looking to start their own business? Uh,
1: I I think I've, I, I was sort of anticipating this question and I really don't have a great answer. Uh, you see a lot of entrepreneur editorials or businesses or interviews. And obviously business being, my Achilles heel I really try to pay attention to these one thing that's come out that I could say encompasses is pretty much in every single one of these podcasts or or TED talks or 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 interviews by by entrepreneurs is that none of them have done it the same right there is no magic solution there is there is it just it just takes really really hard work and I think that Um, you can follow certain people's advice, but I don't think that there is a formula for this. Um, you know, I think it, I think you find the part that, that appeals to you the most. For me, it's the product itself It's making a product that, that is timeless, that, um, and then that becomes your main focus and then the rest kind of has you have to bring the other the other parts in because it's not a business if it's just you sitting on the side of your hill making cool things. Um so there there you do have to stretch in every possible direction. I think that um I think that uh being really nimble, not having so completely concrete idea of what it's gonna look like at the end would be my advice but i know that the, some people say that you have to have just a solid look of outlook of what it's going to be and just go sure. for that yeah. so so i don't think this sort of takes me back there's i'm i'm convinced there's no one way to do it right um i'm not sure that i'm going to get there <laughs> but uh, well but i think
0: that allows for even more optimism because of it you know, if, if it, well, there's a couple of things, right? Like, one, if there were a solution, A, everybody would do it. Yeah. But two, it would probably be far less interesting. Even for us as entrepreneurs who are trying to grow businesses, I kind of, I'm kind of glad that your way of doing things is different than the way I right, do things right. because dodging any sort of insecurity involved I don't want to feel like a failure just because I oh man well Aldo did it this way right it's not working for me why not well because it's different right and I know that may sound like a cop out but
1: but I think that's kind of also the the aspect of being really super nimble you really really have to be nimble I mean it took sure. a, it took I was I was for example I was dead set on wanting to be in Barney's and mm-hmm. Maxfield and all of that, I thought that you know I, I was not going to be successful without that right and it's only recently through another failure that has come that's come across to me that well gee if I if I don't insist on being in those stores then I'm able to cut my prices down because I don't have to match their prices so that in turn could boost sales and we could be doing going about this in a different way so it takes real nimbleness i think of spirit of of mind of model um to be able to just navigate just to just survive and i think you know sure you know i think a lot of it is i think a lot of it is survival kind of at the beginning
0: yeah oh yeah yeah, I think I think probably anybody
1: who started any of the, any of the brands that we all recognize might say that it's the people who actually started them might say it's just survival period. You know, even the brands that have grown into be the brands that we know.
0: Right. Just don't bankrupt yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um so just to talk about you for a minute. You 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 have one of the more unique styles of people I think that I know. <laughs> like your glasses, like for example, for because of the radio sensibility of the show, and people can't see. What are your glasses are—they look like stainless steel and almost not octagonal, not hexagonal, but
1: yeah, I'd say sort of hexagonal, but with not uh, not symmetrical, I
0: guess. I'll um, have to take a photo of your glasses to put on the Instagram. <laughs> but but you've always had very unique style. How would you describe your personal style?
1: Workwear. Just yeah. work where you know I come from a, a, a profession where' I'm, I'm on the ground a lot, I'm standing a lot I'm uh, through my in my photographic career of, of just needing things that were strong, well made. it goes back to the same thing that we've that we've brought up again and again, well made, well super strong things, preferably handmade. Yeah.
0: When I first met you, I just always thought of you as, oh, there's that guy with the beanie on. (laughs) (laughs) And you're one of the few people that can wear a beanie year-round and not look like a douchebag. (laughs) Well, I thank the
1: beanie for not having cancer on the top of my head.
0: (laughs) Protection. Got it. From even the sun. Um, Watches. Can we talk about watches? We can talk about watches. GMT. You owned a Rolex GMT. I
1: owned a Rolex. There was it a GMT? I
0: think so. I think, think it was just the
1: basic, the basic one, the basic Rolex stainless steel Rolex. No, it wasn't GMT because isn't that like the diving one?
0: No, that's the Submariner. Oh. Um, so Aldo's not the a watch collector, <laughs> for those of you listening. <laughs> but he does have a really great GMT, I believe.
1: I I did. I I got rid of it. It's it's part of the it's part of the leather collection now. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. Yeah, everything. sacrifices everything's, everything's for business. Everything's gone into this.
0: No yeah. kidding. Well, I don't even um, want to tell you what that watch would command today. How um, long ago did you sell it? Oh God, I don't know. Probably like four years ago. Oh man, three four years ago. I'm not going to even open my mouth.
1: I think that, uh, I, uh, yeah, with watches, like with some things, I I I I like, I like getting them new, and I like putting my own patina on them. So I got that watch new um i don't like pre-distressed things um which i know is really quite a trend so you know people want the bags and everything to look sort of already aged and you know f- i suggest that people just live with them They're, they'll they'll get a patina they'll get an age sure they'll tell your story and uh, that's kind of where that they uh, i don't ha- i didn't have a rolex to be a fancy Rolex wearer and didn't buy it cheap. <laughs> where <laughs> unfortunately it, do
0: you remember where you bought it? In Paris. Oh in Paris. Yeah. So you so it wasn't a gift? No. Right? No. No, no. no I don't know. Did it say, mark I any sort of anniversary or any special moment? No, I
1: you know, I I I did quite well as a photographer, so uh so it was one of the one of the gifts I got myself.
0: That's cool. Mm. Cars? All I,
1: I'm not into cars. I mean, uh, cars are too expensive. <laughs> well, what did if you, if you I did you if I a Mercedes at one I point? had a, I had lots of Mercedes, yeah. Um I love Mercedes. Uh right now I'm driving a Ford pickup truck. Um Mercedes are good. I, again, back to longevity, back to things that just last, back to things that um I guess with, you know, with the watch, with the car, it, things that I don't think of this when I get them. I don't think of them as status symbols, but I do think of things that represent what I represent, which is things that will last long, things that are good and solid. So with the Rolex, I didn't want to have a, I didn't need or want a fancy one. I just wanted to have something that was solid and constant and timeless. Um, That's the way I felt about the Mercedes. Sure. My latest one needs a
0: transmission. So I got to ask, what makes a good quilt? Ah. Can you talk about quilting for a hot second? Well, I don't know
1: that much about quilting. Uh, The quilt that I made... It's uh, draped
0: over his television. (laughs) It's draped over my television
1: at the moment. The quilt that I made, uh, uh, Brock, our our friend in common, was... uh, was dealing in, um, vintage wares for a while. And he came across a couple quilts that had been made, uh, I think in the late 1800s, um, uh, in, uh, West Texas on the homesteads, uh, where families would make quilts out of, uh, old men's work clothes. Um, and I thought that that was just really fantastic. Yeah, that's cool. Um, And uh, I could never afford to buy the ones that he had. So I thought that I would make my own. Um, As it turns out, uh, in my family, my father's mother's family, there were a lot of um, very good uh, seamstresses. Uh, including several, uh, a couple of them, I think, um, a couple of my great aunts were seamstresses to the White House. Oh, wow. Um, so the quilt represents a transition of, uh, most really a transition of my going from being an observer as a photographer to being a maker. It was the first thing I ever made. Oh, um, even before your leather goods? Oh, yeah. Th- I made that probably, uh, probably eight years ago. Wow. Uh, and same as the leather goods, it's all stitched by hand.
0: Um, how long did that take you? Best part of a year. So wh- how big is it? I don't know. It's folded. And draped.
1: Uh, let's see. I think it's probably about six, six by foot, six. six
0: by eight. Oh, six by eight. Yeah. Six, yeah.
1: And then one side has all uh, old pants of mine, and the other side is all old tops of mine.
0: So is one side heavier than the other?
1: well they're stitched together so but
0: yeah oh i see oh sorry the sides. i'm thinking one the left part and the oh, right. oh no no, part. no no. one you mean the front one, and the back f- the front for and the, the back of a yeah, better description. Yeah, exactly got it
1: and then some old some some old vintage fa- uh, fabric
0: very cool
1: um but yeah so that was the first thing i made uh yeah it took me away f- took me out of out of the the world of photography and into the world of, of making things
0: Outside of walking Daphne, what do you do when you're not making bags and belts and wallets and or, um, or
1: quilts? I think that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, <Just laughs> keeps you busy. Isn't that's it? pretty much my day.
0: Well, you, you know, have we, caught a foul ball at Dodger Stadium. I
1: have caught a foul ball at do- Dodger Stadium. Did it uh, hurt? It did. <laughs> <laughs> I knew, I knew, I've known for years that the next f- ball game I'd go to, I'd catch a ball. So when it came, I just put my hand out. I knew it was coming. No way. Um, so, yeah. And it hurt like hell. And then I couldn't find a little kid to give it to, so it's still here.
0: That's fantastic. <laughs> That's awesome. Are you still shooting photos?
1: Not so much. I, You know, I tend to do everything I do. Uh, everything I do is is all in, you know, so... Um, it, it's hard for me to do multiple things. I I do things a hundred percent. So the photograph when I photographed, that's really what I did. Like I'm like f- full on. So it's it's hard for me just to dabble. Sure. In, in that thing, the photographs I take are f- of things of the brand, and and that's fun, you know. But uh, it's a different thing.
0: It's more just a to-do list now as opposed to...
1: It's more a to-do list. Sometimes I'll get a little carried away and, and you know, futz around with a picture just to... Right. Have a certain angle or a certain thing or something like that. Or hopefully take a picture that people want to see, you know, on Instagram that'll stop them uh, for a second.
0: That's cool. Yeah. Well... This has been fantastic. The birds chirping outside's <laughs> been great. The breeze has felt amazing. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add, promote, talk about? I don't
1: know. I think that's it. You covered yeah. a lot. Covered a lot of the ground. Yeah.
0: Yeah. This was fun. Yeah. And I less painful always, than I thought. <laughs> yeah. Well, as all. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> as always, I've I've actually learned quite a bit today about you that that I didn't already know. So that's been great too. Excellent. Um, thank you very much. So Thanks for, for flipping all the way out here. For Daphne and Aldo, thank you so much. Take care. I wanted to thank Aldo one more time for having me over and taking the time to chat. I uh, definitely wanted to mention his website. It is aldorossi.shop. Again, that's uh, A-L-D-O-R-O-S-S-I.shop. Also, this episode's been brought to you by Clear Audio, -audio C-L-E-E-R-Audio.com. Music has been provided by Jensen Reed and Super Beautiful. And of course, Standard H, and that is standard-h.com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.